0: Welcome to the shit show of my 20s. My name's Sophia. I'm a 20-year-old loan officer from California. I started this podcast back in April 2020. Got furloughed from my job for about three months. And during those three months, I was very honest with myself. I was like, we can either start emotionally eating, we can start suppressing these feelings of not feeling worthy because you've lost this thing that you attach so much of your identity to, or we can start that podcast that you've always been wanting to start. So I decided to go with that second option. And I'm so glad I did. I've interviewed over 130 people since then. It's been incredible. I've got to interview music artists and seven figure entrepreneurs and just all these incredible people with different stories and different ways of how they got to where they are and just hearing about their journey, hearing about their shit show moments because we all have shit show moments and just learning how to navigate them better and learning how to learn from them and take them and create something magical out of them. And I'm so glad that I get to interview all these incredible people And I am such a big believer that you can radically change your life in a year. You can just radically change your circumstances, where you're at. And I remember being 19 and just trying to get a job and applying to like, I was applying to Ross and like a smoothie bar and like all these places wouldn't take me and I was like so offended. I was like, why is no one taking me? And then I finally passed my NMLS test and then I got a job with a major mortgage company and I was like, oh, that's why they didn't take me because I was meant to go down and get this job instead of that job. And I went from being 19 with $0 in my bank account and just being so stressed about money and so stressed about like, is it going to come into my life? Do I, what am I going to do about this? To being 20 year old with over 60 grand in savings. And I think one of the big changes I made between those two was even when I had zero in the savings account, I still believed that I was abundant. I still believed that money was going to flow into my life. I still believed in something that I couldn't see at the time because I knew it was just a matter of time before it was going to come. So I'm such a huge believer and you can radically change your scenario. You can step into that next version of you and that next version of you, that higher self version of you, she's not that far away as you think. I think she's just, there's just garbage in the way. And it's just undercovering that garbage that's in the way of you getting to her and just stepping into that and the next version of you with the next level of results. It's something I'm super passionate about. And I hope from this podcast that you get to hear these stories and relate with these people and just relate with like, not necessarily like just reconnecting to that path of what you want. To do reconnecting to that higher version of you and what you wanted to be when you were younger, and what lights you up, and what brings you joy. So, I'm so excited for you guys to hear these episodes. Would love to connect with you on Instagram. My Instagram's the Shit Show of My Twenties. DM me, I love to have a conversation. And feel free to share this with someone you know will love it. And you can also leave a review on iTunes, I would love that. Today's guest is Brittany. I love chatting with her. Brittany is a relationship therapist. She has a practice based out in Denver, Colorado, and she went to complete her bachelor's degree in psychology, and then she went on to earn a doctoral degree in psychology counseling. After entering the workforce, she noticed in the industry something was missing, so she decided to create it herself. She founded Lone Wolf No Longer in 2020, and has helped people create healthy, authentic relationships ever since. We go into so many incredible things in this interview, from when do we know it's a good time to go to therapy, having walls up in a relationship, how to fight better, when's a good time to go to couples therapy, going on dating apps, experiencing burnout, ways we can use dating apps better and so much more. So excited for you guys to hear this episode. Let's get started. So thank you so much, Brittany, for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to getting to know you. I'd love to start. Tell me about your 20s. Feel (laughs) free to include any shit show moments resonate with. Let's start there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was just telling you that, you know, my, my 20s were definitely a dating shit show. And I was trying to think of like, a moment that really highlighted the shit show of it, but there were just too many. And I know there's a lot of people out there that can resonate with that and feel that with me dating in your twenties. is just, it's, it's all, it's all, all a shit show. Um, but I think that the big pieces for me, it was thinking about one, I was like the queen of the marathon date where I would think I was really cool and really desirable when our, my date would last like eight hours <laughs> or like, Oh yeah, we like you know, went to the, went to the bar and grabbed a couple of drinks and, you know, we there for six hours and thought it was so amazing. and meant so much that this person wanted to spend that time with me and then was surprised when they ghosted like month and a half later, weren't really wanting a relationship. And then I know on my Instagram, I talk a lot about attachment, but I think for me, so attachment is like relationship personality types and I was more typically distancing and like had my walls up, was more protected, that type. Um, then I was like, wait, shoot, I like relationships. I want relationships. And so then when I try to like engage more in dating. I felt like on that pendulum swing constantly of like feeling too overly needy and then distancing myself or dating people that are really emotionally unavailable. And then like stage five clingers and was never able to like, find that like peace that like center of like dating healthy people that didn't make me want to run away or cling on for dear life. I think that was, that was my twenties was that pendulum swing.
0: Yeah. And was there a moment for you when you realized this is such a shit show? Like, where do I start to unravel all of, like what's been going on and start to break some of these habits? Yeah. I mean, so also in my twenties, I was
1: in grad school and I was studying relationships. So you'd think that I would like be able to get my shit together a little bit more because I was constantly delving into what are healthy relationships. And I think one was just not being in grad school anymore, not being just crazy busy and sleep deprived and trying to sneak in relationship stuff, whatever I could. And I think also just starting to find healthier people was teaching me and showing me that like, this isn't working. Um, I know that really when I started setting more boundaries for myself and recognizing what I'm willing to accept was more when that change and shift started happening. And when I first started setting those boundaries, it wasn't great. I was going through my phone, deleting like old pictures. Cause as, as we go, we take way too many pictures and our phone storage gets full. Um, and I had a screenshot from like years ago that I found, and I'm probably going to like post this on Instagram at some point, but I was dating someone and they had like ghosted me for like over a month and then came back and texted me like five times in a row. And then like was hounding me about how I was ghosting them. And I got so angry. <laughs> I was like, first of all, like what into this, like tyrant, like just getting angry with him about how can he demand this of my time? And like, this is how I deserve to be treated and all these different things that weren't, weren't wasn't the best way of setting boundaries, but you know, I definitely set them and then ended that relationship and I bet there's probably people out there that also resonate with that of like the first times they set boundaries and how dramatic that felt and now just like knowing what I want and desire and having that boundary being able to kind of set those in place probably was probably was a shift in some of that shit show dating
0: and what advice for do you have for someone who's maybe setting that first boundary Yeah. I think just do it and see what happens.
1: (laughs) I think that a lot of times we overthink too much and this is also the advice I'd give if like, you're trying to date for the first time after a bad breakup or divorce. If you're like, I don't know if I should date. Sometimes we just need to like try it and see what happens and start from there. So for me, like it felt super empowering to like set that first boundary. No, really wasn't great, but being able to do that and then able to kind of refine and think through like how I want to present myself or what I want this person to receive, how they want, how I want them to hear this and thinking through that more. But I needed to kind of like fling out my first, like, well, let's just try it. Let's just see what happens to kind of get the ball going a little bit.
0: Mm. Yeah. I want to go back to, you used to do marathon dates. Do you do marathon dates anymore or what's your, what's your opinion on that?
1: Yeah. So I'm actually currently partnered. So we do do marathon dates, but that's, you know, because we live together and it's just constantly a marathon date. (laughs) But so I think that we really romanticize this of Like, oh, it was such a long day or it went to the next day. You know, we spent the whole night together, this like romantic feeling we have that just feels overwhelming and amazing. But what this is, is us trying to create this like false intimacy. We don't know this person. So us spending this amount of time together gets us attached to this person. And if we're spending that much time, we're probably being overly vulnerable as well. So this person that we've met once who was a stranger, unless it was part of like your friend group or someone you knew right? Someone who is a stranger, we spend all this time with, and also are super attached to, but don't know anything about, right? Some of our relationship behaviors don't even pop out until like one to three months later. And then again, you know, more and more throughout knowing someone, you see more of their relationship behaviors, but those big red flags typically don't jump out until one to three months. So if your first date, you're already spending 10 hours together, where do you go from there? Do you see them in a couple days? Do you see them next week and do a long date? All of a sudden you're in a relationship with this person because you want this closeness and you're so excited and you want to jump in. And then you're kind of starting this relationship with someone and probably going to not end well because you don't know them and you're already emotionally attached to them. I think that's the big piece is you're creating this emotional attachment to the idea of someone and you're going to get hurt because you're too overly invested right away. Mm
0: -hmm. And how do we not get overly invested right away?
1: Yeah. So I made a a fun little like reel about this on my Instagram. Instagram is now taking over my life of how much time I spend trying to uh, make funny videos. But yeah, so I think one is don't be overly vulnerable on the first date again, right? Like we think about how dating goes, especially, you know, in our 20s, we're doing a lot of online dating. Dating sucks, right? (laughs) We get a lot of ghosting. We get a lot of talking to people for couple of weeks and then them disappearing. And so when we find someone, we feel like we're connecting, it can be so exciting. And we can just be like, oh, finally I'm finding someone I like, I can enjoy, I could have a good conversation with. And then we might share some of these overly vulnerable details. First of all, this gets us way too connected, right? Whenever we think about, I always say, if you can have a conversation with your Uber driver, it's not vulnerable, right? The purpose of vulnerable conversations is to create connection. So again, if we're trying to connect with someone that we don't know, <laughs> that's when that those issues start coming up. So all of a sudden we gushed out all these things that are super vulnerable to this person who may not text us back tomorrow. And that just leads to so much trauma and hurt because they're already taking that step of being vulnerable. And that's like the definition of vulnerable. We leave ourselves in a place to be hurt. So people need to earn your vulnerability. And then also there's this phenomenon too, that the more, you know, someone, the more that you're able to kind of see more of the context than blaming the person. So if you go on a first date with someone and they dump all of their trauma from a recent breakup, you may be like, I'm not going to talk to that person again. Right. But if we're like 10 dates in and they go into this, we're like, oh, that must have been so hard. They're such a great person. You know, I'm so sorry they went through all of this. We know them better and we're better able to see them holistically in all the context. So by being overly vulnerable too quick, we're also inviting more rejection because people don't know us to have more of that context. The other one is don't go on dates like right in a row. So if you find someone you like them, it's so easy to be like, if you went on like a weekday date to be like, oh my gosh, I want to spend more time with them. Like let's meet up this weekend. Let's spend the whole day together. Let's go for a hike. Let's do something more long-term. But what we want to do is slow that down and have about like one date per week. Because again, this allows us to have some more space from that like emotional hormonal rush of excitement dating someone. We have space. We see our friends. We go do work. We do our workouts. We take care of ourselves, And then this person kind of just pops in every once in a while. We're better able to more accurately see them. But if we're just in this whirlwind of emotion and hormones and excitement, and we see them the next couple of days, and we're building this really intense relationship, again, with someone we don't know. And then third one, a good tip is to really keep our like social network intact. So again, it's really easy. We probably all have those friends that when they start dating, they disappear. Right. And, or they like all of a sudden start canceling their plans with us because they have a date. And it's so frustrating for your friends and your friends are gonna, you know, really going to hurt your relationship with your friends and your social network. So keeping your social network, keeping your plans with your friends, and then just occasionally seeing these dating partners allows for you to feel grounded And if I lose this dating partner, I still have my social support. I still have people to connect with. so I'm not as dependent on this one person for all of my social connection.
0: That was really (laughs)
1: long-winded. I
0: liked it. I liked it. It was really good. And like, how do you know when's a good time to start to have those vulnerable conversations or if you're having them too early?
1: Yeah, I think Brene Brown has this term that I, I love. It's like a vulnerability hangover. So if like the next day you feel like, Oh gosh, what did I say? And you feel really awkward. You feel uncomfortable, right? That might be your body sign to yourself of like, I didn't feel ready to share those things, which again, really isn't helpful because that's afterwards, but that's a learning moment that you can like learn that the signals that your body is kind of showing you. But I always say like, we want vulnerability to kind of go deeper and deeper and deeper. So maybe on the first date, you know, you just say, Oh yeah, you know, my family's pretty ridiculous. You know, they can be crazy at times and that's kind of where you leave it. Maybe the second date, it's a little bit more information. You know, yeah, I don't really talk to my mom anymore. We had, you know, a lot of fights growing up and then it kind of leaves it there. And then maybe like third, fourth, fifth, you know, you can share a little bit more about what some of those moments were, but we like throw out little nuggets of vulnerability to kind of test and see, you know, how they're going to react. Are these again, trustworthy people um, in terms of boundaries? I like the visualization of we have our people who are open fields who anyone can come in and out of their life at any point. They're vulnerable with everyone. And it leads to a lot of intense connection and a lot of heartbreak. So if you're someone who you feel like I always have these really intense connections with all of my dating partners and then really bad breakups, this is probably because you're not guarding some of that vulnerability at all. You're just sitting in an open field, letting whomever you want in and out. And then we have people who have walls who don't share anything ever right? But with this, the only people that stay in this person's life are people who are okay, staying on the outside, don't want closeness. So if you find yourself dating unavailable people all the time, this could be one of the reasons. Or we have the people that don't listen because if you're setting up a wall, you're setting a boundary, you're saying, I don't want to share this. So the other type of people are people who ignore this and push through your boundary Right. And they're going to be boundary pushers throughout the whole relationship and not really listen to you when you don't want to do things or don't like things or want to be treated in a certain way. So if you are dating those like stage five clingers that like, don't listen to you, don't listen to your boundaries. You feel like you're constantly being pushed into doing things you don't want to do, but you're like, oh, but they broke down my wall. No, they didn't listen to your boundaries. So then we, so we have those two types of sharing vulnerable moments, right? What we want is more of like a chain link fence that has a gate. So we can stand at the chain link fence, we can talk to someone, we can figure out if they're a trustworthy person or not. And then when we want, we can open up that fence gate and let them in. But we want to be able to stand guarded and have some conversations and see them and test those vulnerable moments. But I think also we kind of know when we're oversharing, it might feel good. they I'll be like, oh my gosh, I shared that I lost a family member when I was really young and they just took it so well and i was so great and we connected over it, but then they start distancing themselves more. So if you start seeing this like, oh my gosh, we connected, I was vulnerable, I shared this piece, but then the relationship just disappeared after that. That's another sign that maybe we're oversharing regularly.
0: And for someone who does have their walls up, yeah. how do they start to recognize that or what type of tips you have for letting those walls come down? Therapy. (laughs) Yeah, I think that we develop those
1: walls for a reason, right? They're there to protect us. It makes us feel more safe. We either have learned that people aren't trustworthy. This might be just something we've learned from our family of origin that we can't really trust others. Things are used against us when we share. I just feel safer to be guarded. Or maybe we've had pretty bad relationship trauma, or maybe we just came out of a breakup or divorce. So we are feeling that right. We got to be able to recognize that that's coming up. My, my favorite is people that say they're an open book. They are never an open book. You have to like find the right page and the right line to ask, them to figure anything out, right? So have you've ever been on a date with someone, oh, I'm an open book. And then you're like, oh, okay, well, like, tell me about, you know, one of your insecurities or some sort of question like that. They're like, oh, well, I don't really have insecurities. Or tell them about an experience you have with your like family. Oh, well, my family's good, right? They just give these like short answers that don't really give us any information. But yeah, so Figuring out what that looks like for you is that a lot of times I work with clients on like even feeling what that feels like when their wall comes back up. Because sometimes you can like go throughout your day and have your wall down, but then there's a moment where it like triggers the alarm bells and your wall shoots back up. So feeling what that feels like when you're disconnected. So a lot of times I work with people that they can share things. They can share something that feels really difficult, but they're sharing it in a way that doesn't feel vulnerable at all to them. So they can share Oh, my last partner cheated on me and it was really difficult. Right. And you're like, oh my gosh, they share something vulnerable. That's wonderful. But they didn't really. They just, you know, told you what the bullet points were. Right. And for them, that's not vulnerable. So being able to figure out what that looks like when when we can, when we share things, but we're disconnected, what that feeling feels like. What it feels like to be like, yeah, you know, my last partner cheated on me. It was pretty devastating. It was hurtful. Maybe it's second guess my desirability as a partner it makes it really hard for me to trust people now, having that more emotion and connection to it. And really the biggest thing for working on your walls is finding trustworthy people and building safe relationships. And if we've had a lot of relationship trauma and all of this, I always say, start with either friends or family, because there are a lot less risk than dating partners. Right. It'd be really hard to try this out for the first time with dating partners, but finding friends or family members that are safe, that teach you that others are trustworthy. You can let down those walls. You can let people in is what retrains our brain to not always send up that alert bell that we need to protect ourselves. So that's the biggest way is start practicing having safe, secure relationships.
0: And do you think like in order to go to therapy, you have to have a lot of things are working on. And like, what's your thoughts about when is a good time to go to therapy? Or maybe someone looks at their life, but like, all these things are going great. Do I really need to go to therapy? Like, what's your kind of thoughts on that whole process? Yeah.
1: So for me, like, my therapy practice is all about relationships. And so, with that, a lot of times I hear everything in my life is going great except my relationships. My career is great. I have great friends. I have a great family. I take care of myself well, all of that but I cannot figure out dating. I do not know what's going on there. So that was a wonderful time to come into therapy because we're taught that relationships are the most important thing. They are the thing that life is about, that you are not a whole person if you're not in a romantic relationship, but then we're never really taught what healthy relationships are. And so then our only model are our family and rom-coms, which a lot of times both of those aren't that great. So if you're just like interested in gaining some insight into your relationships or why you keep following, into the same pattern, even though you know your pattern, you know, you date unavailable people, but you keep end up in relationships that emotionally unavailable people and you don't know why, right? Or you uh, feel like your picker's broken. Like you keep choosing these wrong people. That is, so that would be my like threshold, right? That's like people were like, yeah, I don't really know if I need therapy. It's a great entryway of just learning insight for yourself and what healthy relationships look like and how you can change some of your relationship behaviors and patterns. Cause I don't know a single relationship out there that couldn't benefit from some therapy. Relationships are never perfect. They're always difficult. They never go as planned and that's normal. So if you're like, well, my relationship isn't always perfect. We argue sometimes like we yell or we snap at each other or these other things are going on. That's absolutely normal, but we also need to work on that. And then too, like therapy can be helpful if you're just like, I just need a space that's mine to kind of talk through and work through a lot of my relationship issues that are popping up and I'm tired of burdening my family and friends. I've heard this a lot this past week actually they're like I keep emotionally vomiting on my family and friends and I don't think they're gonna keep going along with me if I'm doing this so I think that's another big piece if you're just like I need someone who is objective who isn't a part of my close circle to just have a space to talk through these things with and then also if we have some like past trauma and grief and all of that where we feel like I feel like I'm over that I feel like I'm done with it talked maybe went to a therapist when I was young I I feel like I'm good. Right. But we still see these like things trickling up because that's how trauma and grief works. I saw a quote once that's like glitter. <laughs> that you think you've cleaned most of it up and you like lift up a pillow and you find some more under there. And so even if you feel like done the work, I've worked through that trauma. I don't think it's impacting me. Sometimes it's good to just check back in with therapy and seeing, okay, is there a way this is sneaking back in that I want to address?
0: Yeah. And why do you think it's so easy for us to master career like all these other areas of our life, but we always have trouble with relationships?
1: Yeah, I think because we can't work harder to make relationships work, right? We can be, I have spent many a night on my couch with girlfriends talking to each other about how amazing we are and how successful we are, then how much our relationships suck, right? Is that it takes two people. It's really easy. Well, not really easy. Right. But if we just like push through and work hard and can like see this goal at the end of the road for our career, it's easier to kind of get that achievement. But when we have to try to find another person to match us, to do this together, to bring both of our stuff and be able to create this life together, it's difficult it's hard. People are tough, right? That's why like the social sciences are so different than like medical and physical sciences because it's not straightforward. And that's the same way with relationships. It's not straightforward. And then again, going back to, we're never really taught how to be in a relationship with one another and at a pandemic where all of our social skills are trash. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we all are wanting just like a buddy to Quarantine with, you know, who knows what our future holds. And I think this has really changed a lot of people's life and trajectory and how they view relationships. Yeah. And then also, a lot of times with especially our career, there's laid out steps do this, do this, you know, go to school, get this internship. You know, get this one job, move up the ladder into this job, right? There's these like steps that you can follow. You can see other people and follow their steps. But with dating, it's like, well, I've done online dating for 10 years, or I've tried matchmaking, or I've tried just meeting people in person. And I've done all these things that everyone says to do, like meet someone at a grocery store or go to church or like all these things that in relationship, people tell all these singles, well, are you doing this? Are you doing this? I'm doing all the things. And it's sometimes doesn't equal a relationship. Or mean maybe it means it equals a relationship, but that relationship ended after five years. And now you have to start over work <laughs> And so I think there's yeah, less, less steps and less of a path. Just kind of the go at your own pace, choose your own adventure, goal mm-hmm. in life.
0: I'm wondering any thoughts on like, should someone in a relationship be doing individual therapy and couple therapy? Or what's your thoughts on that? Are they good to do at the same time or how you know it's a good time for couple therapy.
1: Yeah. So that's a that's a complicated question. <laughs> there, there's that's there's many answers just depending on different folks. I'll start with one. So you can change your relationship by you individually going to therapy, right? Two people in so it's like physics, right? Like one force has to change another force. If you get in fights with your partner a lot. If you change your behavior, they're not going to be able to fight back at you in the same way. They're going to have to change their behavior as well, right? So if every time they do something, you lash out at them and they lash back and it just escalates. If you don't lash out first, you know, they're not going to lash back at you or they're going to feel really bad about lashing, lashing out at you because they're the only one lashing out. So yes, you can do individual therapy that will help your relationship. And if you're the only one willing to work on your relationship and grow it, it's going to get to a stuck point. So you're going to need both of you gaining some insight, making some changes, working on your communication, all of that. And there is some research to support that going to individual therapy versus couples therapy when your relationship is in turmoil It has a higher likelihood of divorce than if you just go to, if you go to couples therapy. So if your relationship really is in great turmoil, it might be something you're like, okay, we probably need couples therapy than individual therapy. But if there's issues popping up and you want yourself to be better in the relationship, that's probably more individual work. And then honestly, I know that it's, I'm consuming and it costs more money to do both, but it really is, It's going to, it's going to work out best if you have both because your individual therapist is on your team and is your cheerleader. And it's going to tell you how great and amazing you are and what you can work on and how to change some of your reactions. And it's wonderful to be able to come to your individual therapist and be like, you will not guess what they said in couples therapy this week. And so it's great to have that. And I always say in couples therapy, like we're raking up the muck. So everything you have been ignoring in your relationship, we're going to spend an hour sitting in that muck. So it's not pleasant for the first couple of months really isn't. And so having an individual therapist that can kind of help you cope through the muck of everything that's brought up in couples therapy or how it might be triggering family things or past trauma, having that individual space for yourself is wonderful to go along with couples therapy. But yeah, so signs that you should start couples therapy. One, like every relationship at some point should do some sort of premarital couples counseling, relationship counseling, something. Because again, we're bringing both of our stuff into this relationship with no idea, with no plan, with no handbook of how relationships should work and what is healthy and what's not healthy. So being able to just talk through some of our stuff is wonderful Um, and be able to be preventative. My favorite couples work is when people have just kind of started having an issue. (laughs) Most difficult is when you're like 20 years deep and you've never done counseling and these like pain and hurts and issues have been like deeply rooted. It takes a lot more time, a lot more work, a lot more money, a lot more tears to kind of get through all that, still able to be done. But if we do that more progressively throughout our relationship, it's easier to do. It's like, if you've never gone to the gym before and you're going now as like an older adult, like it's going to be really tough (laughs) to kind of get into shape or get your body moving. We've kind of have constantly have your body moving. That's going to look a lot different later on Then, So I think, yeah, everyone at some point should do some type of couples work together. And then if you're one feeling like you keep getting in the same type of fight, so maybe it's over the dishwasher, maybe it's over the laundry, maybe it's over your family. But the fight keeps following the same pattern and everything, every little thing keeps escalating fights. That's a wonderful time to, to start couples therapy because there's something going on underneath that you aren't getting to that's causing this cycle to keep going up here.
0: Yeah. So those are some some reasons that might bring you to couples therapy. And how do you know if like the relationship can work or maybe that it's the end of that relationship? Or is that a really good point to go to therapy to see if that's the end?
1: Yeah, I think that's really tough. I think knowing when a relationship is, relationships take work and a relationship is too much work. Finding that right balance is... It's hard. I think that whenever you have two people willing to work on the relationship, take responsibility, gain insight, make changes, I think most any relationship can get back on track. And you loved each other once, and you both are willing to like work and make changes. We can figure it out. We can make it work. If one person thinks that, which is a lot of times I see couples is like, I go to couples therapy so someone else will tell my partner what they're doing is wrong. If you're just like thinking that your partner is the one that has all the issues and everything is wrong and. He you don't, you don't have those two people collaborating. That's probably when that's more of the end. I had someone leave a comment on my Instagram of saying that their partner was always on their phone. And they're like, I don't know how we can engage in these healthy relationship behaviors when like, we don't have a relationship. They're always just zoned out on their phone. If your partner is doing that and they're not willing to talk to you or make changes, or when you say you're worried about the relationship or you want to strengthen the relationship, they just stonewall you. That kind of leads us to a point of like, what else can we do? You can't carry the relationship and it's not your responsibility to carry the relationship. And I will gender stereotype here that women typically are socialized to be the relationship maintenance right? To buy the relationship books, to facilitate date nights, to enter into couples therapy, that women are more socialized to do these things. And I think a lot of times they feel the weight of trying to carry and fix their relationship but if your partner's being a dead weight you can't carry them for forever <laughs> I think that's the that's the time when it's like okay you're not even willing to try couples therapy with me I don't know where else to go from here that's usually the time when relationships are, are headed down down the road of not being able to be repaired
0: and with all the singles that you work with what you notice is their biggest struggle when it comes to dating apps and dating right now <sighs>
1: I think one that the dating apps, especially with um, the pandemic, were just flooded. Right, there are just masses and masses and masses. And with that, like we get quantity and quality issues, where there's so many more people out there, so you get so many more maybe matches. But then it's like, okay, well, then we talk for a couple of days, and then I never hear from them again. And you invest all this time in like doing a job interview with someone <laughs> before it even gets on the date, and then. do the date and more extensive job interview. And then you may never talk to them again. I think just the fatigue of that, of having to sift through so many different options and knowing that this option probably won't work out. How do I keep that energy around it? Which even just talking about it, I'm feeling tired and exhausted. But yeah, do you feel like you've heard that a lot from people on your Instagram or your friends? There's just fatigue.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is there any way to use them better or (laughs) not be so burnt out?
1: So I think, you know, I've done some like different creative things, just depending on my client's personality. So I have one client that's like, okay, I'm your accountability person you had to have gone on a date with someone by the next time we meet, right? So maybe it's just like holding them accountable so I can kind of put some energy into, okay, I got to message more people then. Or it might be that you set a timer every day and that is your time that you go on the dating apps and message and you talk to people and you just kind of have it scheduled out. Like you would have like a workout or like work stuff, a work meeting, uh, going out with your friends, anything else you'd like schedule in your day, you just have it set out like that. Another thing I always say too is like go on, on dates, go on places where like you want to go anyways. So if there's like a new restaurant or a new bar or a place that you really love, like use those to go to, so that even if the date sucks, <laughs> you at least have gone somewhere fun that you really like. And it can be more about having fun and going out and having someone to do things with than like this person has to be my person. I think that's something. And then I also say if you've been talking to someone for three days, ask them out. If they don't feel comfortable meeting in person yet, ask for like a zoom call or a FaceTime. Right. But if they're not willing to really meet up right away, that's a sign already that they're probably not ready or invested in dating. So move on to the next person. Don't keep investing in that person if they don't really want to meet up. That's another way of doing it. Trying other things like matchmaking. I know that that may, may feel out of people's comfort zones, but it's something I've had work for clients so that they don't have to at least swipe those type of things. Or sometimes it is when I meet with clients together, we do it. or making it a game with their friends, doing some to kind of re-energize it so it doesn't just feel like, oh, I had to keep doing this again. And then if you're really feeling burnt out, taking a break. Because if you're not really putting the energy into it, you're not going to attract people that are quality people. If you're just kind of like doing haphazardly, feeling begrudgingly about doing it. You're not going to attract the type of people that you want to attract. And it's just going to keep you more, keep you in that zone of, ugh, for longer instead of just taking a break and then re-entering in like a week or a month.
0: And what are some things that you think we do well on the first date, And what are some things you think we do not so well on the first day?
1: Hmm, that's a good question. What do we do well? I think people are, at least that I've talked to, uh, or like a lot of the clients that I've worked with or people I've interacted with on my Instagram, there isn't as much of a fear about a first date anymore. And it feels like we're, we're getting out a little bit more of just like interview questions. I know there's still some, some struggle with that, but I feel like because of online dating, the thing that we have learned is kind of the art of that first date and just getting to know someone, which probably 10, 15 years ago, we weren't as good at. So I think that's one, one positive that all of this active dating has taught us is about just getting to know someone and it not being this scary, overwhelming piece. I think that's something that we do well. I think what we don't do well is falling into the trap of being overly vulnerable, of drinking too much, which I've definitely been guilty of multiple times. Because also we have like adrenaline and excitement going as well and that can increase our level of tipsy drunkenness while while we're drinking. And we're not as aware of our bodies because we're more anxious and in our heads. So we might not realize how drunk we're getting until it's too late. <laughs> I think that's something that I see pop up a lot. And then just having that expectation that I should feel this spark and chemistry right away on my first date. And that one is a red flag and two is not what we're shooting for because we don't know that person. So our, the way our brain is, deciding to send out these sparks, this hormones, this like chemistry is it's pulling from past information. So there's something about this person that's pulling from probably some past traumatic relationship experiences. So most likely we're going to be dating someone we've dated before in different skin if we are feeling that spark. So yeah, I think, yeah, like overly vulnerable drinking too much and looking for that spark are all things that I hear repeatedly when working with clients and they're like I don't understand why this isn't working and I'm like well you need to get drunk on the first date which again hey if you're just looking to have fun and just want to go out and get some drinks with someone absolutely get as drunk as you want have fun all of that but if we're really looking to figure out this person is a long-term partner we want all of our logic parts of our brain at full steam
0: and for someone who tends to be very like reactive when they tend to fight with people when a advice would you give them or what tips do you give them to maybe fight a bit better?
1: Yeah, I think, Oh, that's a great question. So, Oh, I'm going to give a really long-winded answer. So people who are really reactionary when they fight, what is going on is for some reason their fight, flight, freeze, nervous system is turned on, which means we have adrenaline, we have cortisol, we are ready to fight a bear. So for some reason for us, if we're really reactive when we fight, that button is really easily pushed. And that might be just, you've had past trauma. This is how you've seen your family fight. You know, there's plenty of reasons why our button might be a little bit more sensitive. And so, being able to recognize when we're getting to that reactive point, because that is like arguing with a teenager, right? You're not being heard, you're being angry, you're being mean. And then, usually afterwards, you don't mean any of those things you said, and you feel that like guilt or ugh afterwards because you've said things that weren't really accurate or true. So being able to kind of notice when that feeling comes up and being able to ask for timeouts or pauses. So if you're like, oof, uh, (laughs) I just yelled and I don't know why I just yelled. I I'm I'm knowing that I'm getting into that place where it's not going to be productive to keep talking, saying, Hey, I need a timeout. I want to continue this conversation, but I'm needing to pause to kind of reset. Can we talk about this tomorrow morning? Can we talk about this in an hour giving it a time limit? So that person respects it and knows that we're going to continue to talk about this, but we're also going to take a little bit of a break. Um, and that's where the fallacy of like, don't go to bed angry. Doesn't work. Some people need to sleep. And need to reset their hormones to be able to talk to talk things out, and that's okay. But just making sure that you actually continue that conversation, because a lot of times we are like, "Oh, I can't do this," and they walk out of the room, or they shut down, and they never talk about it again. And that's what causes that reoccurring cycle and pattern of having those fights over and over again. But you know, for example, for me, my partner cannot sleep if we are in a disagreement. Me, I could pass right out and be fine. So it's also just learning. You know what works for that relationship and figuring out. Okay, I know you're not going to be able to sleep. Just give me half an hour, um, and we can talk about this again. But yeah, so like learning that when you feel that rising intensity, or it's actually what it at the line is is when your heart rate gets above 95 beats per minute. So if you have a lovely watch that tells you your heart rate, you can even just turn that on and be like, Oop, I'm in my danger zone. I should not be arguing right now. Yeah.
0: yeah. And I have a couple of final questions for you. Okay. What's something you're really excited about right now?
1: So, I just finished creating a journal for modern dating. Um, that is available on amazon i'm really excited about it um i literally like it got published like two days ago on amazon but it just has worksheets in the beginning to kind of get you thinking about your relationship patterns some dating tips and then it has journal prompts to walk you through your first three dates with a dating partner so i'm super excited about that like i said it's available on amazon i should be getting some author copies in the next couple weeks um, so if you are against Amazon, that is okay. But um, you can also get them hopefully soon through my website. But yeah, I'm just excited because I think the other big thing is access um, that some people don't have the money, time, or aren't really ready to invest themselves to dive into coaching or therapy. So trying to figure out these other ways of reaching folks. That's what part of my Instagram is: is like, how can I get some of this relationship advice out there I'm in a way that's a little bit more accessible? Um, so maybe. Paying $150 for coaching is not something that is something you can do right now, um, but you can pay $35 for a journal to kind of
0: help you work through some healthier dating patterns. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And what is something that most people don't know about you? Oh,
1: hmm. I'm going to use my like token fun fact about me. So anyone who's ever done like been an icebreaker fun faculty knows this. I know how to ride a unicycle. <laughs> so, when I was a like little kid in my like elementary school, we had if you went early before school, you could learn how to ride unicycles. So I did that, and I definitely still have a unicycle at my parents' house. I haven't ridden it probably like over ten years, but even like those big giant unicycles, I was able to do, so one of those hidden skills and talents
0: and What's something that people usually don't ask you during interviews that you would like to be asked? oh. Hmm. I don't know how to answer that question.
1: What is something that people don't typically, what do people usually say? What is a good (laughs) trying to gauge what a good, I'm at a loss for words. Mm -hmm. I cannot think of
0: one. My brain is just going blank. Oh no. (laughs) Yeah. It's just like anything, like you never have a chance to talk about any part of your life you want to talk about or
1: I guess I can. I've been thinking about, you know, talking more about this. I actually did meet my current partner of a little bit over pretty close to a year and a half. I met my partner online. So it can happen and you can work through it and you can find healthy people out there to start relationships with and you can work through there is hope you can work through the masses and and find someone who is a good good partner.
0: And which app did you meet him on? Uh,
1: it was actually through match. And um, a lot of times I try to get people to use that because there's less quantity. So it's easier to kind of sit through and find people who are wanting to date, but match just released that they now have a free option. And so now I'm like, Ugh. My one hook is that you make people pay like $40 a month and that's what made it more less quantity and more quality. But so hopefully it's still, there's still a little bit more quality on there, but it's a little bit less sifting through the masses when you use a paid for app.
0: And what was it about his profile that stood out to you? Oh, he was really cute. And I'm
1: trying to think now back to then. It was actually, it was funny. It was actually a birthday gift I gave myself was signing up and paying for match. So if you have a birthday coming up and need an excuse or for the holidays, if you want to ask for a paid dating subscription, great way to do that. But yeah, I think it just like, I felt like we had similar values. We seemed genuine, seemed funny, seemed active. Um, And so all those things were things that fit with the type of person I was hoping to meet. Yeah. I think just like the values lining up was important. And especially, I know people are like roll their eyes at how much work they had to put in. Cause there's more questions that match asks, but you're better able to kind of glance and add a quick look, see like, Oh, okay. Well they, you know, believe in this or they don't believe in this or they have this view. That's just not going to fit for me. It was kind of a nice way to kind of seep through some of that.
0: And my final question for you is if you were to go back in time and talk to your 20 year old self, what would you want to tell her? <sighs>
1: I'd probably honestly tell her to like stop dating for a while. Cause yeah, I feel like if anyone else is in the part of their twenties where it really was like the hustle of either it's grad school or starting a new career and you're just so busy and trying to fit in anything that you can, those small spaces. And it can feel more like that scarcity mindset of like, well, I'm going to be free again. So I better like meet up with this person as many times or as quickly as I can. Um, instead of just giving myself some like space. To take care of myself, so yeah, I think just recognizing where you're at, where your limits are, and really where you want, where you want yourself to to be, and how you want yourself to feel, instead of just you know keep going on an empty tank, because you're not going to make good dating choices when you're on an empty tank.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing this today.
1: Of course, this was
0: fun. I feel like
1: I I talked at you (laughs) a lot, but um, it was fun to talk through some of those things.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And where can we connect with you online? Yeah. So I
1: am really good about keeping my Instagram up to date. Uh, so that's probably the best, best one to find me. So lone wolf psych P S Y C um, is a good way. I typically post on there most days trying to give some tips and we will let you know if there's any new things coming out um, and that will be a, an easy place to find the journal. But yeah, so that's probably the best, easiest way to connect with me.
0: Thank you guys so much for listening. I love if you can leave me a review on iTunes. Please feel free to share it with any friends you think the story would resonate with. I hope you guys have a great rest
1: of your day.